Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a podcast or a video cast or you want to record a book on tape or hell, even if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe and Matt, not only are great guys, but they really know what they're doing. They're reasonable and they're honest. So check out their website, Sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show today. Uh, we have a great guest. She's got an interesting story. She's done so much. She's she's a speaker. She's a lawyer. She's written a bunch of books, like kids' books and, and adult books. And I met her at the... Uh, the JBN and the Jewish Business Network, and, and she was a, a liaison, I guess, for that. We're going to find out. And I'm going to screw up her name. And we talked about this before. I'm going to screw it up, but I'm okay with it. And so I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, you say your name. Oh, that's a new twist on it. All right. So my name is Hale Rabizadeh Resnick. Okay. Now, I have a question about your name. Yes. I've noticed that you go with your first name, your maiden name, and your married name. Now, my wife does the same thing, and she does it. She goes by Joanne Butaro Cooper because we got married after we were both over 50. And she got, she said, I have been Joanne Butaro my whole life. I don't want a hyphen. I just want my name, my name, and then your name. Why don't I know hyphen in your name? All right. So my thing is that Hale Rabizadeh is such a different name. It's so ethnic and it's so cultural, right? It's from Iran. And I just, when I got married, I didn't want to get rid of it because for me, it was such a big part of my identity. And actually, like how we're talking right now, this has been my life. Like, so I don't need an icebreaker. My icebreaker is my name. People are like, oh, what is it? Where did it come from? And it just starts like, starts it going. So for me, it's like such a big piece of my cultural heritage that I didn't want to change my name. Um, but I'm, but it wasn't for any kind of like major feminist reason. So I don't have any problem with my husband, Resnick. I'm so proud of it. My kids are all Resnick. So now I just kind of put it all together and it's a mouthful and extremely awkward. So, you know, it is an icebreaker. I'm going to admit it that. is, it is, it is an icebreaker. And that's the thing, you know, and, and the funny thing is, and so many people screw up names, and, and, and it's unbelievable for the fact, like, I was at a wedding one time, and I was in the party, and it interests me as Steve Copper. And I'm like, how do you screw up Copper? Like, with your name, uh -huh. people, and you're right, people, because people are probably like, oh, I don't want to screw up the name. But I think for you, like, we before we came on air, I was like, how do I pronounce your name? And you explained it, and I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I don't. I honestly, like, to me, it's however way people pronounce my name is fine with me. I, it's... It's what makes it special. I have some friends who pronounce it one way, and when I hear it pronounced that way, I just think of that particular friend. I'm not picky. I don't get upset if people mispronounce it, spell it wrong. I think people get a little bit too sensitive these days. With that said, by the way, I will say the sweetest thing is when someone does pronounce it right. It just feels so wonderful, but... It's all good. So now I'm going to practice, people. You hear that? No, nah, so no, nah, don't. don't practice. It's really, it's really not a big deal. <laughs> so we talked at the JB, and I never knew this. I want to find out, you left Iran in third grade. Right. Okay. Now, what was your life before you left? What were your goals? Because you've done so much, but when you were a little kid in Iran, you, you probably never thought you were going to leave. You never thought you were going to flee because, you know, it changed. But what was your childhood like? What did you want to do? What kind of kid were you? You know, that's a really good question. So interestingly, I was always very proud to be American because my father, he was one of the top students in Iran, like in the country. He was like the number two student in the country or number one, I don't know, two or one, whatever it is. He was up there. And so he was uh, brought to America 
with a, a study, a foreign exchange student study, to receive his PhD from University of Pennsylvania. And that's when I was born. And then we went back to Iran when I was three years old. So I was always very aware that I was American and so proud to be American. And I, I remember as a kid going around saying, I could be president of the United States one day. So I guess Coop, maybe that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I wanted to be president of the U.S. But um, so that's. But there was no real thoughts of leaving Iran. That was home. Everyone was there. Family was here. You know, was in Iran. Um, so the revolution really did upend everything. What was Iran like before the revolution? I heard it was a very hip, cool area. What was it like? You know, do you, do you remember growing up? Like, what was it? Like, you know, here, America's been America the whole time. You know, you have different political whatever, but it's always been pretty much the same. What was it like before the revolution? So it was a very modern country. If you were to look at photos and videos of Iran in in the 70s, it would, it would have looked like scenes from America. People were dressed modern as they are here. It was not a religious country. It was a theocracy. Um, so my memories of it is men and women together, everybody out and about. There, it was modernized. It wasn't as modern as America. It wasn't a first world country, but paved roads, everything, you know, just as you would imagine. More of a Middle Eastern country for those of you who've been out there, which means like, I, or if you've been to Europe, like because it's older than America, like slightly smaller roads maybe, more grocery stores and stuff like that, but still very modernized, has its highways, have big universities. Um, so it was completely different than what it is and what it turned into as a result of the revolution in Iran. Um, and I, you can talk to people and they'll tell you different things. A lot of people say that the revolution happened because the, it was changing too fast and it was modernizing too quickly for the people. So. What is that like as a kid when you know there's something going on? Like I, I, when I was on my honeymoon, we were in a we were in Croatia, and we were in an Uber, and I was talking to this guy, and his arm was screwed up, and he said during you know their revolution, his house got bombed, and I was like, holy crap! I'm like, me, I was just worried if like I didn't get tickets to, or make the baseball team. What is it like when you're a little kid? Did you know? Were you comprehending of what was going on, or, or were you just? Did you see it in your parents? That your parents seemed scared, or what is that like? Because I I can't even fathom what that felt like. You know, it's so crazy. Um, I do have very clear and very strong memories, maybe because it was so starkly different than what happened when I came to America. Um, I definitely remember protests where uh, the lights and every you would lose all electricity and you would hear gunshots in the air. And my parents would say, let's go into the middle of the apartment. We were in an apartment so that you're not by the windows if something would happen. Um, definitely. Uh, oh, here's a fun one. When I was when I was in second grade, right at the, you know, kids want to. Kids do what their families do, and they're what their parents do, and what's going on in the world. So we had a protest during recess one day, and uh, I remember marching around the playground going, Marg bar Amrika, Marg bar Amrika, which means death to America. Marg bar Shah, death to the Shah. And we did this the entirety of of recess and I remember there was uh, one of my friends it, maybe like a dozen kids weren't involved and one of my friends was one of the dozen that wasn't involved and I went to her and I'm like oh come on in get in here why aren't you coming in and she was crying and she's like this isn't good this is just it's not a good thing we shouldn't be doing this it's not good that this is happening and I remember 
so clearly to this day. I said to her, you know, you're so right, but it's fun. And I left her and I kept going, marching around, despite knowing that I'm American, I'm proud to be American. I knew at that time that our family was going to be coming to this country. But you know, it talks to the power of like social movements and how everyone gets sucked into it. Um, it wasn't because I wanted death to the shower, death to America. It was just fun. I mean, yeah, I was very aware of what was going on. That does happen. It's like when you see people shaking a car. Oh, I'll shake the car. Why are you shaking the car? It makes no sense. You might get arrested. Oh, yeah, but everyone's doing it. And I've never shaken a car. I, I remember. I, I, was... I hear you. Yeah. So, so, okay. So what happens when you leave? Is it planned? Is it, do you say we have to leave now? Or was it planning? Because you know you want to flee. Changes are coming. You're an you're an American citizen because you're born right. an American. So it's it's right. easy for you to get in. Your father is already you know known in America. So it's not like it's just someone who doesn't know anyone coming. How was the tra How how did you make that move? Was it overnight or was it something that you you had to plan out? And your parents were like, okay, say goodbye to your friends because on this day, whatever day, we're leaving. So like you said, we were very fortunate because my father did have contacts in America and it was definitely planned because you saw the revolution happening and coming and, and we're Jewish, our family's Jewish and it's not safe for Jews to be, it, look, it's never safe when there's unrest in, in a part of the world for Jewish people and so the writing was on the wall that we had to get out. So my father actually came to America first and set up uh you know, set up a job and had his ducks in order, so to speak, which is what a lot of immigrants were not able to do. I had relatives who essentially had to come out illegally over the mountains, right? But we were able to have that. My father set that up. And like you said, because I was an American citizen, you still need to get a visa. My dad says a story of how he went to the American embassy and there was a line going like around the block and someone comes out of the embassy and says, is anyone American here? And my dad shows my passport and he gets pulled out from like the back of the line and comes right up and we were able to get visas right away to come back into the country. But my parents were so worried about having to get out before everything shut, shut down because we came out in June of 79 and the government got overthrown and kicked out. It was September of 79. So we were just like right at the end where we were able to get out. But my parents were so worried that they bought the first ticket that they could to get out and it was first class. And I got to tell you, the first class of back then doesn't compare to what we have now fully remember it. It was like a double-decker. Went upstairs. There was a Persian carpet on the ground. There was a samovar. It's like beautiful. I still remember that first-class trip as we came back with, you know, only six or seven suitcases. You had to sell everything. Um, but we came out in class. <laughs> now, now, when you got to America, you're young. How do you start acclimating? Because it's different. You know, where, where was your home base? Did you grow up in Philly or in Jersey or, or what area? Um, the first year we came here, I was in Philly, and then we came to Jersey. So I was in Jersey in fourth grade and Philly in third. Yeah. So how did you acclimate? How did you start acclimating? Like, because it's, you know, you're the new kid, and everyone, like, any school when you're little, they go, oh, there's a new kid. Well, now if the new kid comes from a different company, country, a lot of, you know, back then, a lot of people didn't understand that. So was it hard for you to acclimate, or were people like, 
hey, you know, this this is cool. She's, I mean, because I'd be like, because my in college my roommate was from Hong Kong. I was like, this is cool. I'm like, what are you doing at Stockton State? Your parents are rich. You could go to any college. And he's like, my cousin went here. I'm like, yeah, but why are you in Stockton State? You're from Hong Kong. You know, your parents are merchants. They have lots of money. And it was fascinating to me because he turned us on to all this great music and we became good friends and we, we corrupted him. <laughs> I hate to say we taught him <laughs> curse words. But uh, what was it like for you acclimating when you were a little kid? Um, okay, so third grade, um, I'll tell you, the very first day of school in third grade, the teacher walks in, and I stand up when the teacher walks into the class. And I guess this was before the laws that, that schools have now. There's, like, lots of rules now that you can't leave kids alone. But um, back then, kids, you know, filed in, and they were all sitting there, and then the teacher walks in, and I stood up. As soon as the teacher walked in the room and I looked around and everybody else was sitting and in my broken English, I turn around like gesturing to everyone, stand up, stand up. The teacher's here. And they looked at me like I was nuts. They didn't understand what was going on. This went on for three days um, because in Iran, when a teacher walks in a room, you stand up out of respect. You know, the same way like the president walks in, everyone stands up like teachers were given that kind of. Uh, respect. So um, I did it for three days and I gave up and I decided, you know, I got to, you know, went in Rome. And uh, third grade was nice. People were nice to me. I had a couple of friends. I was in all of the, you know, English as a second language classes to adjust. Fourth grade was really hard, though, because um, that was when Iran took the American hostages. And I don't know, for those of you who are old enough, there would be like every day on the news, right? Was Dan Rather? Who was it back then? I don't know. It was Rather or Cronkite. Right. And it would, like every day, it would be like, this is day 120, day 121, right? And so kids were nasty to me because I was like this foreigner. Um, I had an accent. I didn't dress the same way as everyone. So it was, you know, not so, not so fun. So at what point in your life, you know, you're, you're acclimating to America, at what point in life do you decide you're going to become a lawyer? I mean, was it, was it something that you're in, you're in high school? Because I think, you know, when you're in high school, you know, I mean, I grew up in Cherry Hill, so it was like everyone's going to be a lawyer or a doctor. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I, I might want to be a performer, uh, but I want to get my degree in business. And in Cherry Hill East, you know, you went to college. It wasn't a, well, I might take a year off. No, you left. And if you went to a community college, people were like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you going to like, I mean, I went to a state school and I was like, what's wrong with you? I said, I got to pay two years of my college. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere else. What was, what, when did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer? I mean, cause you're growing up, you're, you're, you're acclimating to America. You are American. You're, you're, your broken English is gone because now you can never even tell that you've come from another country because you speak very fluently. But when do you, when did you sit there and go, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a lawyer. It's so interesting that you say that, you know, my accent is gone and you're acclimated and you're here. The reality is like your childhood so much affects you because when you're a kid, you make decisions that set you up as you move on, move forward in life. So when I was in college, so at this point I'd spent half of elementary school, all of middle school, all of high school in America. I'm like, you know, I want to be a lawyer because I want to master the English language. I felt so proud to be able to be in this country. I felt that my life was uh, was controlled by these world forces, so to speak. And I, when I became a lawyer, I actually got a certificate in international law. I thought I was going to do international law. So um, becoming a lawyer had a lot to do with my immigrant experience and wanting to be a person who's in a position to make a difference and an impact and and not be like, you know, not be swayed by the waves and the wind and whichever way it goes, even though I did march around the schoolyard. I kind of want to. 
So now when you got out now, what kind of law were you practicing when you when you started? I mean, I don't, I, we never talked about this. Did right. you practice law? I, I know you from the JBN. I know you've written books. You speak. You've written a bunch of books, which we're going to talk about because you go from the, you know, from just completely different books. Like, you know, it's like a musician who does a jazz album and does a heavy metal album. You're going to complete gamut, like running the gamut. But what kind of law did you did you start practicing law? Yes, I started practicing law, and actually, I, I still do. I still do practice law, um, real estate finance, real estate law. Um, actually, in, in large part, again, like your immigrant experience, like really affects you. Like, what do you do if you're an immigrant and you come to another country? Right, you go into business. The number of people that I know who are immigrants who like went into real estate or did some. So that's I'm like, all right, I'm going to go into business. I'm going to do business law, and I did real estate finance work, and that's the kind of law that I do now is finance work. Um, I do it part-time, as you alluded to. I do lots of other things, too. Yeah, tell me about the writing, because I, I wrote some of your books down, and the one is, I mean, I don't get from, like, navigating OIT to think again. Like, as I said before, they're exactly, like, they're completely different. What was your first book? Was that, because I know you do something on allergies or breathing. I know that. But how did you get into that? Because that's something that people don't go, hey, what are you doing today, Steve? Oh, I'm going to start writing a book on allergies. Uh, I mean, how did that even come up? And is that what you, is that what navigating OIT is? So, um, okay, so I'll, I'll I'll answer the first question. How did I get into writing? I think that I have always been a writer. And uh, look, different countries in the world have different strengths, different cultures, have different values that they bring to the table. One of the things I remember my mom saying, um, this is like a week out of Iran, or, you know, like two weeks out of Iran. I went to a little program for kids and I wrote a little poem, you know, in my, I, in Iran, they used to teach English as a second language. So I had a little rudimentary English. So I write a little poem and um, I remember my mom and that camp counselor talking with each other and my mom saying, you know, my daughter is so creative and she likes to write so much and I'm so glad that we are in this country because America is so supportive of being creative and writing and going out of the box and doing all this stuff and I'm so happy that we're here. So I I write because I've always written. There's a lot of writers in my family. My my aunt is a is a poet and so I've just always written. So that that's that on the side. Um, I the first book I wrote was Little Patient Big Doctor, and it came because I had a son who had significant allergies and another who had other medical issues, and I wrote a book to help parents and help other people navigate uh, dealing with medical system, working with your family, doing the best for your kid. So that was the first book. But how do you? Okay, how do you? attack a, a project like that because first of all you can tell I mean my mom used to just you know when we went we would take us to the doctor and our doctor would say yeah you know he has a cold you know seven days if he doesn't see a doctor a week if he does for you it's such a when it comes to kids and I'm not a parent but I know my friends who are kids it's such an important thing and are people ever skeptical like how do you know this because we live in a society where people are just assholes I mean, I'll be honest, like you can put something, you can say to someone, do you like this or this? And they'll go, I like this. It's like, well, no, do you like this or this? For you, that first book is like, how did you learn to, how did you learn all this stuff to tell parents? Was it, did you study it or how did you get like, okay, here's how you deal with allergies from, from your experience? I mean, how do you do that? Um, so that's a really good question. Uh, I did an undergrad major in communication. So I did have that background. I've taught for my entire life. I always like taught kids on the side. So I have a lot of 
hands-on experience and it was I guess my hobby on the side like for fun I would read child development books which sounds absolutely ridiculous I know I'm just not that cool um, but I I think that um, and also I have to say like have, coming from another country always gave me this different perspective so I had a different approach to medical uh, understanding and how do you approach the body. So when I would go into a doctor's office, you bring that with you, right? So you bring that kind of alternative background with you. And being a lawyer, by the way, I think also has something to do with it because lawyers are taught to think critically. Um, a lot of times people think that things happen overnight, right? And I, I hate that trope that, that exists today because it's not an overnight thing, right? The fact that I was able to write this book, it's because I had years of chi you know child education and background and I have this law degree and you have this, uh, all, you know, it all comes together and allows you to to write a book, write several books, at least in my case. So that's your first book. That's my first Little book. Little Patient. And then now what's your second book? So the second book is Navigating OIT. I wrote it with a doctor, Dr. Swati Gandhi. Um, and it, OIT is oral immunotherapy. It's a particular treatment for allergies. You have a little bit of whatever you're allergic to every day, and then the you know hopefully you're desensitized, and, and if you're lucky, you don't have the allergy anymore. Um, so that is a very difficult process for parents to navigate with their kids because you're doing it every single day and you have to incorporate this food in and there's a lot of like emotional issues that happen with kids. You gotta figure out creative ways of how you put mix in the food. So this is a guide for parents on how to go through that process, both from a psychological perspective for their kids, as a practical perspective on how to actually do it with lots of tricks on how to manage it on an everyday basis. Um, so that's how navigating OIT came about. Well, it's funny you say that because when I was a kid, back to my mom, I I couldn't swallow pills. So we had we had a little we had a, a porter whatever it's called the masher uh, portal. It's a there's a medical term for it pestle and mortar or something. Mortar like and that. pestle. Mortar. Yeah, we had yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I and I would that. do that, and then she would put it in applesauce and I would take the pill. So course, yummy. Then years later I see, you know, her feeding our dog and I'm like, wait, you're treating me like a dog because you're putting a pill in like liverwurst for the dog. And it, it is important because, you know, kids kids are very, and kids are very stubborn. You know, it's like if you say, you know, the old commercial, like with a kid, they put the medicine, he turns his head. So you really had to break that down. And uh, how, did, how did you learn that with you? You said you had two of your kids. And you, you have five kids, right? I have five kids. That's unbelievable. I don't even know how you, I don't even know how you keep, uh -huh. I can't even deal with a wife. Uh, uh, five kids. It's a beautiful thing. What, uh, how, did, how did you start learning that they had allergies? And, and was that hard as a mother to see there and see that? you didn't know what to do at first because your son or daughter, whoever it is, is having adverse reaction to something. Um, yeah, it's really hard and it's overwhelming and I'm sure it was hard for your mom. Like it's even hard, like you said, if your kid can't swallow a pill and it's just a, just because you have a fever. Um, it's extremely hard for parents, whether it's allergies or any other illness, to see your kid go through through a difficult time. You you want your kids to have a better life than you do, right? And so it's painful and it's hard and you just don't want to see it. Most parents I see when their kids are in a situation like that, right? Your back is up against the wall. You, you do absolutely anything you can for them. 
um, I was very fortunate. I relied on my parents, and I would say for par- for people out there, if you don't have friends or family that you can rely on, like find networks. There's so many social networks online, and so many people who are willing to be resources and helpful to you. And I think that's really like you you have to get the support to be able to do it. Um, that's okay. I know. No, it's not. It's just, I, I mean, it's you need just, help. Yeah, I mean, it is crazy, and, and it's good you have that book. And then now, then learning to love me—that's another book. Now, that's that's completely ah, uh, that's a fun one. Okay, so that one I didn't—I didn't write that book. I was a contributing author to it, and that's like wonderful. Tonyel Jackson, she wrote this book, um, really about like empowering women, and so it's filled with stories of difficult, you know, difficulties that women and challenges that they've individual stories of what they've had and how they've overcome it. So that that it was a contributing author too. Now, no. what what are some of the challenges you've overcome? That's such a good question. Do you sometimes feel like every day is a challenge? <laughs> I, mean, I wake up. I, I wake up at like five in the morning, and I'm like, and I sit there, and, and it's like anything. I think it's because I, you know, and I've told people this. You know, I'm, I come from a performing background, and when when you've been a performer, we, we are, we have the uh, the bad trait of we're blessed. We're blessed with being. Insecure and narcissistic. So you sit there and you wake up and you always worry. I'm a worrier and I wake up and I'm like, and I know in my life everything has worked out. When I was sick in the hospital for eight days, I didn't worry. I even I was worried. I'm like, am I going to die? But I knew it would work out. So, but that's not, but what are some of the challenges you face? Well, okay, wait, can I ask you a quick question? How did you know that everything's going to work out? Like, where, where did you get that from? I don't know. I just have always felt that. Like, when I was, when, when I, you know, when I moved out west the first time. I didn't have a place to move. I didn't know where I was moving. You know, I, I, just, I had a U-Haul, and I said, you know what? Things will work out. Because if you sit there and you you sit there and say, oh, man, you know, it's like the old Flintstones. They have bad luck schlep rock. The guys that go, oh, nothing's going to. And I have friends of that. And, then, and I'm like, you know, as long as you're alive, I've almost died twice. So as long as you're alive, man, everything's going to work out. I mean, you know, you sit there, I, I joke around with my wife about it and I always go, like she'll say, oh, this isn't where she'll bitch because she dropped something. I'll go, and she piss, gets pissed at me because I'll go, well, you know, they don't have porches in uh, Croatia right now. I mean, in, uh, in uh, the Ukraine right now. And she's like, would you stop it? But I'm like, you always, my mom, my mom came from immigrants. Right. And my dad came from, the, they were in Philly. She was the wrong side of the tracks. He was the right side of the tracks. And she just grew up having us very positive. And it's like, you know, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you die. Okay. And so if you're thinking you're going to die, well, then you know what? But I, things, things will work out. It may be a hard road. I mean, I know the shortcomings in my life that things I haven't achieved are because of me. Okay. They're not because it's because of my, you know, self-destructive behavior for a while. And thing is, but in the long run, everything worked out. When I was in the hospital and my heart was, you know, at 24% when it should be 70%, it all worked out. In fact, in two months, I was back to normal because I think being positive, listening to the doctors. But I think if, you know, things are going to work out, I mean, it's, if you go, I'm divorced. Someone through divorce. First year, I was like, oh, I then I'm like, well, you know, it worked out better. What happened? Oh, I met, I married a beautiful, wonderful woman. You know, and so I think things will work out, and sometimes it depends how high you're aiming. Like, it's not like I'm not a star, but, you know, I, I can't complain. I think, like, that's the key, right, to overcoming challenges and difficulties, like having that underlying sense of things will work out. The other thing that you said, which I think I also uh, 
understand and relate to is you were from immigrant from an immigrant background, right? You're sounds like your first generation. Your parents no, my, were immigrant. My my, uh, my mom's parents were from uh, Yugoslavia and Austria. So when you have like that otherness about you, like you, I think sometimes you get a sense of appreciation for what's in front of you. Well, I'm I'm frugal. I learned that from my mom, and I sit there, but yeah. it's a thing. But I. I'm smart frugal. Like I sit there and I always put on Facebook. I put the different meals I eat. And I go, hey, it's really cheap. You can make it like this. Because I, I learned from my mom, because they grow up, you, you shop. Like I'm not going to buy halibut for right. $14.99 when I can get, you know, cod for $6.99. Well, you know what? I'll wait till halibut's on sale. So it's something that I think I that was instilled with me. And just the thing that, you know, yeah, you just, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's completely my my attitude about it. Um, and also I think like going with the flow of it sometimes you have to let I think a lot of challenges people have comes from fighting the people that are in their lives rather than kind of accepting it and going with it and you said earlier about how like kids are very difficult and they're challenging Um, I think sometimes that's the case because parents want to have a little mini me with their kids right and they so if the kid is not exactly like you you have difficulty with it um so I think like that's kind of like the same thing in all of life. If you kind of let people shine in whatever way that they're shining, you have a little bit of less fight and give back. Doesn't mean then you're not always the alpha guy in the room, but that's okay. But but I want to get back to what challenges do you have? What challenges did I have? I have to say like being an immigrant was very challenging for me. Um, and it has completely shaped my outlook. I've tried very much to look at it as a positive sense, and I do think it's an incredible gift, and I think America is what it is because of the gift of immigrants who come to this country and take it to the next level with each generation. Um, So I think that was a challenge. Uh, The books came out of challenges that I had with my kids uh, from a medical perspective, and I think when you have... Whether it's your children, your spouse, your family, anytime there's medical challenges, it makes it so hard because what's the worst thing that can happen? You can die. And when you are faced with medical challenges, like the reality of, of, of that comes to face a lot more. So I think that's really challenging. Okay, I have something for a question for you here. Yeah. Also. Okay, because since I, I moved back, you know, I've, I network a lot. And I'm, you know, in, in Hollywood, I networked a lot. And I've, I've noticed, you know, it's still in networking. It's, in some places, it's still the uh, good old, as I say, the good old boys club. What was it like for you when you started networking, getting out there, when you were a lawyer who was not only a woman, but a minority? I mean, I can imagine, because I'm sorry, I see some behavior where I go, you got to be effing joking me. Like this, you know, what, you, what, you're not trying to get this lady's number. You know, it's a business owner. It's it's not even it's not even a female business owner. It's a business owner. It's a lawyer. What was that like for you in the early days? And and did you start to say after a while, say, "Yo, screw these people. I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to be myself." And if they don't like it. They can kiss my ass. I'm going to tell you something really funny because I mean, this is a podcast. You can't see me, but I definitely don't look I, like the average person. I have darker skin and darker hair, um, and. I will tell you, I think I was really not aware of how different I was. I was instilled with this value of just work hard, be the best. Be the best. You work the hardest. You produce the most work. You're the top of your class. And that's it. And that's how you get ahead. And I was, other than my name, which was the icebreaker, I was almost not aware of the fact that I, I was different. 
and it was only just a couple years ago, a friend of mine said to me, you know, Hala, you're a minority. I'm like, I'm a minority. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you're a minority. You are a woman. You look different. Of course, I'm Jewish. I always knew that Jewish was a minority. We got kicked out of one country to another for it. But like, but the fact that even my cultural identity of being from Iran and America, I wasn't even aware of it. So don't you realize when, when you walk into a room, you look different than everybody else in the room? Like, no, I never realized. I don't think you're right. I think I look exactly like everybody else. And she's like, what are you talking about, Hala? You look so different. And I, honest to God, Steve, I had no idea this was the case until one summer I was working in a camp and there's, it was like a big giant dining hall with like 700 people. And this woman walks into the, into the dining hall in the middle of uh, the meal and I see her and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting person. She looks so different. I wonder who she is. She's new here. Let me go say hi to her. So would you believe that she's from Iran? And I realize all of a sudden, oh, I look different. <laughs> so I was truthfully really like not aware of it. And you're right. There's a lot of stuff that happens with women. And there's a lot of. And so like I, when I look back at life, I see things that happened. Um, I see that I didn't fit in. I see that I couldn't uh, connect with the partners in the law firm, with the women who are there. With the, I, I just didn't. It's just simply the reality. Um, and I really had to be so much better to be able to just come in and still really not get in the back door. And I'm only seeing that now I'm like 50 some years old. I'm only seeing and noticing that that was the case. But yeah, it's interesting. And it's so funny, though, you know what you say, that you didn't fit in with the other people in the law firm. Well, for me, that's always a good thing. Because I always say, you know, I never want to be in a clique because why would you want to be in a clique where they pick and choose who they want in your clique? You know what I mean? I don't I don't want that. I don't I don't want right. to be your assholes. You're well, a so clique. And then, plus, I always say, you know, if you're over like 40 and you're in a clique, man, you screwed up in high school or college, you know, go back and try to be the prom king or queen because it doesn't make a sense. I mean, I, I've always been someone who went from crowd to crowd. In college, I could go to any party. I was involved in student government. I would go to the all African-American party. I'd be the only white guy. I would go to the different fraternities when I wasn't in one because I was just, I acclimated and I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to deal with this shit. I just want to be on my own entity and jump around. But that's the thing that cracks me up. Well, so that's like, that's really ultimately what happened with me. That's why I never realized that I was different, right? Because rather than like focus on the fact that I wasn't like getting in behind the scenes and I wasn't connecting with someone, I'm like, all right, I'll go do my own thing. And so I read a book and I read another book and I get involved in this organization. I get involved in that business and that company. And I'm the same like you. I had a lot of friends and lots of different networks and but I don't necessarily think they're assholes. Like I sort of think that it's just a natural human condition that birds of a feather flock together. Not right? all of them. Okay, I mean they're right? up here. But not like, not all of them are. But you know, you have the group, so you just go, What what is wrong with you? Like, right. like why are you mean just for the purpose of being mean? Like I get it. You wanna hang out with people who are like you, but hey, at least say hi. At least like open the door and like don't slam it on my face. I agree with you. They always say I'm hi totally to me. with you. They always say hi to me, though. I just I'm, I'm one of those people. Yeah. That I just don't feel so. Okay, so no, at the JBN a while ago, it's when you were talking about your new book, which I found out is in a series. Yes. Now tell me, it's called Think Again. Yeah. So Think Again is actually a children's series, and now that we've been talking for a while, you you'll understand where the root of it comes from. It's all based on. Uh, teaching children how to think out of the box and how to think differently. So each book in the series focuses on a different aspect of, of 
imagination and creativity and looking at things from different perspectives. So one book, for example, looks at objects and how you can use objects differently. Another book has uh, plays around with that all like you, you have an object and you only see one piece of it. And because you only see one corner of it, you, you have a completely different perspective than if you see another corner of it. So each book in, in that vein touches on a different way of how important it is for us to look at things from different angles. And they're designed to be children's book, but every book has a guide at the end of how parents or teachers can do additional activities and lessons to really incorporate the values of of accepting other people, accepting differences, and understanding it, and practice that kind of thinking in their own life. Now, children's books are 32 pages, am I right? That's correct. Okay, so how is it, because I, I told you a while ago I'm writing a kid's book, and I was telling Joe, the producer, um, about it, and it's funny, because like one one page is chirp, 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 and I go, what, you know, because I come from someone who, you know, from doing stand-up them all, you elaborate, you know, and I've written screenplays where you elaborate, but, how it's like how do you condense it cuz you know you're looking at it, you're like i have 32 pages and i can't i'm very educated but i can't write highfalutin because a kid's going to go what the hell does that mean like how do you sit there i mean how many drafts do you go through it you start off with like 48 pages and start whittling down and i know you also illustrated it i believe yes. but how do you how do you come about the creative process of writing when you know it has to be 32 pages because that's what kids' books are. Yeah, so, okay, so when I first started writing my first kids' books, I had no idea it was 32 pages, right? So first I wrote, and then I had to whittle or add on just to, you know, to get it in there. But it is really hard. People think that just because it's a, you know, it's so short that it's easy to do. But you've got ton of people in marketing, for example, you got to come up with a logo or like a word or a couple of words that encapsulate your entire message. Writing kids books is not easy. Uh, you use the pictures. Pictures also help tell a story, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. So I, I think that that's a very important part of, but not easy, right? Now, you're finding. You said you illustrated it. Yes. So, okay. So what comes first in the process? Does the, do you see the illustration like in screenplays you know you see like oh wow okay it's at a it's at a bar in cherry hill in the 80s and you see oh the coastline and you go oh, i'm going to develop my my dialogue and my story from that because you're never what how is what's your process in is it the picture or the wording or you just as you're writing the words you think of the picture so it's interesting. In um, in each case, it was different. In one case, it was completely the picture because one bu one book is focused on um, the idea of like, what if the sky is a different color, right? And so I had the scene set, and my mind was like, I was envisioning, oh, a sky that's it's feathers, a sky that's polka dot, a sky that's right, and so that the words were driven by the images that were in my head. So that happened with one of one of the books. Um, the other book, it was the concept. It was the concept that was driving it. So um, it's about like you use a cup. You can use a cup to drink water. You could use a cup as a vase, right? So it was the ideas of different objects and how they could be used, and the wording and the concepts drew, drove the the photos now there's three in this series there's four in the series right. now are, are there going to be more or do you sit there and you go okay i'm going to stop with the series or maybe i'm going to go to because what it's five to eight age i'm guessing or? yes it's younger kids so are you going to sit there and go well you know what i've done that i've got my series there now and how old are your kids oh my youngest is a freshman in high school but the other ones are at college okay and graduated so you're not dealing with so now like have you thought of saying okay i've done four 
and now maybe I'm going to go from nine to 15, which is probably 70 pages. I don't know the right. thing. Have you thought about that or are you just happy with doing the, the, the five to eight because you get pleasure out of it and you get the draw? Because if you go the other ones, you really don't get to do the illustration. Right. That That's really a good question. Um, you know, as you mentioned, my writing is like, it comes from the experiences that I've had in life. So I do have one other series that's in my head that's that will come out and, and that's designed more to be for... Uh, older kids and you know younger adults it's kind of across the board Uh, again the concept of like thinking out of the box I'm not interested in writing for that middle eight like middle school late elementary school because that's really hard to write I know people think like Judy Bloom, the woman was gifted right like it's, it's not so easy to write like at a level that is like understandable and write a nice good story frindle oh who's that who's the author of that you know oh my gosh another great there's like a bunch of incredible children's writers and it's not easy to write it's much easier to write for adults now when did you uh, learn to, to start illustrating what made you sit there and go i'm gonna i'm gonna do all of it because were you always a drawer is it a drawer an artist i don't an know artist? what it is okay so i did it with graphic design and i gotta tell you something i absolutely had no idea that i could do it until i did it and i just shocked myself i'm, I'm just i cannot people have bought pages of that book framed just for the sake of the artwork that i did um, and that's just shocking to me. I had no idea. I had it in me. I don't even know what to say to you on that one. Well, now, also, uh, one last subject is you're, you're speaking. You do speaking. I know yes. you, you had just, at the JBN, you had said you had just come back from speaking at a event. Was it in Texas? I, or, I was or? speaking in Boston. Boston, okay. Um, I spoke at a conference uh, for about allergies. It's um, for allergy treatment. Drug, it's a summit for uh, allergy drug all the words aren't coming to me right now. This is why they, they talked about needing to change the name of the conference, actually, when we were there. But it was for drug and allergy treatment. And we had uh, people from all over the world were there, you know, from, from Australia and from France and just all coming together. What can we do to uh, treat and cure allergies? Now, you do a lot of things. And it's funny, mm-hmm. when I talk to actors, I always ask them, I go, do you like doing comedy better? Do you like doing stage movies? And I always go, we just love acting. And that's what the Richard Kind, the great actor, was yelling at me. What do you mean, Cooper? We just, I'm an actor. For you, what do you get the most pleasure from? The speaking, the kids' books, the being a lawyer. What do you, what gives you, like, if, if I said to you, okay, you can only do one. And you're going to be very successful at it, but you can only do one. You can either speak, you can either write, or you can either be a lawyer. Can you answer that, or you just say, or do you love them all? Can I hang out and schmooze with you all the time? This is my favorite. Um, I would say, okay, that's a really good way of, uh, of asking the question. I would say that writing and speaking. And I, I see them as married, right, because... Um, Writing is wonderful, but you need to get it out there, right? You need to be able to connect with people. And and to me, writing is a form of education, no matter, even if it's fiction, right? Like you're influencing how people think and see the world. So I would say the writing and speaking is where, like, if, if you were to guarantee me ultimate success and I could just... That is like, you know. But isn't isn't it already a success because you wrote a book? I mean, how many I people do. say, like, right. I know, okay, I, I know people, an actor friend of mine got a pilot. And if people don't know, a pilot is where they, they shoot an episode of the series. And if it gets picked up, it's changing your life. Even if it runs for a season, you're going to make twenty five to 50000 an episode on 
15 to 23 episodes, you're, you're doing okay. And I have I know a friend who did that, and I know a friend who's had like six pilots and they never got picked up. And he's like, uh, it sucks. And I'm like, dude, you did so much more than every act. Like, there's so many actors. I said, that's an accomplishment. I said, and then it's actually funny that they all sucked. And it's not, I mean, they didn't get picked up. They didn't suck. It wasn't because of you. But for you, you know, isn't, don't you feel like you're successful because you've written, you only have written one book. I wrote a cookbook and I get, every once in a while, I get $3 from Amazon. And I'm like, oh, well, I wrote a cookbook and I just did it. But aren't, don't you feel already successful because you've, you've acclaimed, you're a successful writer because you've published books in different genres? Um, I do. I do feel that. I guess... I guess I wish that I could reach a wider audience. My my best and most favorite days is when somebody finds me online and gives me a call and says to me, "Oh, my kid has, you know, my, one of the books is about auditory neuropathy. You know, my my son has auditory neuropathy, has an allergy. Can you help me?" And I spend an hour just talking with a perfect stranger and just helping them through whatever that they're going through. That is hands down my most favorite thing because in our lives, like we have the ability to affect our inner circle, which is wonderful, but what a gift to be able to just reach out to someone on the other side of the world and be able to help make someone's day easier. I think that if I could do that once a day, wow, I don't even know. Like, I think that's a gift. <laughs> well, I have one final question. What is, what's the future hold for you? And can you say the coop tank in Farsi? Now, uh, <laughs> I could say it with a Farsi accent, the coop tank. Okay, but is that good? A, I, guess, <laughs> well, I have a friend. I have a friend who uh, he left Iran too. He's an actor and he speaks Farsi. I right. think I told you about him. And I, I, the guy's name is Zadran Wally. He's a great actor. What a handsome guy! I, I was like, I, he posted a picture on Instagram. I said, dude, I said you're like still hot. I've known you for like twenty. You're still ripped. I said you're like fifty and you're ripped. But what's the so future? Nice. What's the future? What do you see in your future? I honestly don't know. Could you believe that? I really, truly don't know. I just want to make a difference. Like, I really want to see a future where I can continue to do, I'm continue to write and continue to be able to connect with people and make other people's lives better. Like, I, I just am very much driven by that goal overall. Um, All right. Well, there so, you have it. A very, she's a multitasker, she's a renaissance person i'm not gonna say renaissance man or woman she's a renaissance person and how can people get in touch with you how can they get your book how can they find out all your information sure you can find me my website is halaresnick.com and so you could go to my website it's uh that's easy as can be and all my books are also available online on amazon and just type in Hale Resnick. this is where i don't use the rabbi zada because it's a little bit complicated um, and Resnick is R-E-S-N-I-C-K, and Hale is H-A-L-E-H. So go to her website, check out what she's done, buy her books. Um, go to my website. Uh, if you want to hear past episodes of The Coop Tank, thecooptank.podbean.com. You can also find me on Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, all that good stuff. My other podcast, go to coopertalk.net. I've done over 940 interviews with celebrities. You want to check that out. Also, uh, go to RVN Television, RVN TV, to see Cooper Talk Local. It's my new TV show. Look that up. I interview very established Philadelphia musicians and comics. And I want to thank Joe Ganjemi, the man at Sweet Recording. You guys got to get in touch with Sweet Recording if you have any kind of project. Me and Joe are going to start doing... Uh, uh, red carpet events. So if you want to sit there and have me interview people and have a great quality product, hit it up and also email me at the coop tank 
at yahoo.com if you want to be coached on interviewing or being a host. So I'm Steve Cooper. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank you all thank for listening, you. and I'll see you guys next time. 